Today I'm sharing about hope in hard times. There's only one thing that we have as human beings that God does not have, and that is limitations. We're limited, he's unlimited. Suffering is the human experience of our reactions to our limitations. When we can't have what we want, when we can't do what we want, when we can't be what we want to be, even who we want to be. Our Jesus came to live in the midst of our human limitations, to resolve all of those problems. He didn't come to remove them, but he gives us his unlimited risen self within to rise above our sufferings in the midst of them. We don't just get over them, but in the midst of them. I'm reading a scripture here from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. My dear friends, don't be shocked at circumstances coming your way that test you to the limit. Don't think of this as being out of the ordinary as far as you're concerned. You can be glad that you are going through the same sufferings that Jesus went through, so that when his power and glory shines through, you will be elated just to be there. Now that's setting a high goal. He's talking about something powerful here that is according to our faith. You can also be elated if you get insulted for being a Christian. Because the power and nature of Jesus will be on display in your life. Their words might be putting Jesus down, but your life is raising him up. Peter is telling us not to think of the unexpected as being something unexpected. If our expectation of what should happen to us always came to pass, it would mean that we were in command of every one of the thousands of random events and the way that they collide with one another in the objective world that we actually see with our eyes, we live in the midst of. If we can believe that God is in command of all things, then we can have a proper expectation of him and not of ourselves. Now, we do have expectations of ourselves. And if we're wise, we will set goals with the understanding of what our limitations are. And that can be wisdom. And goals can be quite achievable. We're not, in, we're not in command of the unknown and the future and the random events, the unexpected. We do not become the saviour of our situation, but he does. We see his power and love having sway in our lives by our faith, with eyes of faith. Instead of seeing the erratic and unpredictable circumstances as having sway over us. That's how we see it. That's our perception of reality. We see these things and they're on display. The unseen world isn't on display for us to see, but with eyes of faith, we know what's happening. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8, speaking about Jesus and about the Father putting all things under his son. Hebrews 2 verse 8 
He put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honour. Jesus is now upholding all things that are happening in your life by the word of his power. That is a reality. That is the world of God towards us. That Jesus is upholding everything concerning your life. Now, if we're ignorant of this, then it has no personal meaning. And there are billions of people that are ignorant of that reality. That's God's place in our lives. His creation is under his path of the future. But if we know and believe in this, it is cause for an elevated disposition of hope. I read the scripture earlier and the word elation was used twice. You can be elated when terrible things happen. But it's because you know who's actually in charge and holding up everything concerning your life, which is yet undisclosed to you because we don't know the future, but we know that somebody is bringing it forward in its time on our behalf. He's doing that. Your heart and soul become bonded to the hope of Jesus in action. Not sitting there watching what you're going through, in action on your behalf. So you get bonded to that. You form a pathway in your soul, a go-to place. What do I think of now? What will my emotion be now? How will I manage this? You go to that understanding, which is one of faith. It's a peace that's beyond understanding, but you become bonded to the hope of Jesus in action rather than the grief and disorder of the world. And that releases us to live in and with the purposes of God. Over to you, Lord. I'm doing the best I can and I've surrendered the future to you. So therefore, I can live above the despair. Now, another scripture, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Even when our outward life changes for the worse, our inner life continually grows stronger. Our experience of affliction and suffering releases a flow of God's glory in the midst of everything that happens around us. As we discover the inner life realities of the unseen world. We are not fixed upon the changeable nature of the outward life. Now, these are very clear, sound definitions, if you like, descriptions of what Christianity is. It's a way to live by faith. With this understanding, we can unconditionally embrace this present moment. As I say that, I am speaking in the present moment. You are hearing in the present moment. 
your life only really exists in the present moment. You have things to do when you get home. You've had things to do yesterday and today. But as far as the reality of what is happening now, it is now. It is always now. Oh, no, I'll get around to it. No, now is the time to pay attention to what is happening in the world of the unseen. We embrace this present moment, no matter what the physical or the psychological content is. What am I going through in my soul? This is how a new pathway of truth is formed in the spirit of the mind. If we're going to grow, we're going to grow spirit, soul and body. We're going to follow the processes of faith that the Lord gives us in order to be lifted above the disorder of this world. Truth gets formed in pathways of the mind and even in the brain. And once we hold on to that pathway of truth, we then choose how to deal with the outer situation. So we get the inward thing right first. I know the reality. Can't see it. But by faith I can. Now, having settled myself into this, at this present moment, I'll now look to what I've got to deal with in the mess that's out there. But now I can choose with a more of a, of a presence of mind in the truth of who I am and who is with me, upholding everything in my life. Then you make the decisions that need to be made. As we learn to live consciously with him, we can lose something. We lose an attitude of, it's all about me. It's all about me. Life is cruel. And we find another self of faith in God. And something switches. There's a transformation. There's that strange scripture that people wonder what it's all about. And it says this, Whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what's happening. You're losing the desperate me self, what about me? And you're trusting in God and you're losing one life but you're finding another and that lifts you above the distress and the despair. That's why we can have a hope. People think, that's crazy. Explain to me this hope that you've got. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So limitations can now be met and endured with faith and hope and acceptance. It is now. Can't get away from it. Now we can go with the flow of what is happening by faith, giving thanks to God in all things. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5. And live in the hope and expectation of what God is doing in the midst of it all. And that's a good way to learn how to surrender. Just I'll go with the flow, you're working it out. But there can also be times when we need to resist something wrong and call it out. God will give us the grace to know the appropriate acceptance or resistance to a situation. You're not just a doormat, but you're also not there trying to fight impossible odds against things that you have no control over. So God will give us the grace to know the appropriate acceptance or resistance to a situation 
and the right timing on how and when to do what we need to do. A no to what somebody wants from you is just as obedient to God as a yes if you know the heart of the matter. There are times when out of love and wisdom you say no. Oh no, no thank you. Not going there with you. Oh, that offends me. Well, it doesn't offend God. Jesus said no to the Pharisees when they wanted to penalise him for healing on the Sabbath. He didn't say, oh yes, yes, I won't do that anymore. No, he said to the Lord, thank you, Father, for giving me your grace to heal. Because the, the Sabbath is for us, not us for the Sabbath. And he knew how to speak life any time at any place. So he said no to them for, about that. But he said yes to Pontius Pilate when he ordered his execution. Yes, okay. Want to crucify me? He wasn't looking for that, saying, I would love to see this happen, but he knew that that was in the will of God. And he was able to say yes to that terrible ordeal that he was about to face. He spoke to his father about it when he got into the garden. And he said, is there any other way? Maybe you could take this cup from him. But he said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. A very reasonable conversation. Now, Job. You've heard of Job. Now, he deserves a mention here if we're talking about hard times. God allowed Job to see that he was in the midst that is, God was in the midst of all the sufferings that Job was going through. And that he, as God, was in control of everything that was happening. God was in control of what Satan could and could not do. God was in control of all creation. And he discusses this with Job. He challenges Job to consider where he himself stood as a good man in regard to being fully in charge of his own destiny. He ended up saying, what do you know, Job? Now he'd had wonderful conversations with Job about the stars and the universe and the constellations. He knew Job was the most intelligent man on the planet at the time and a good man. But this is what God says to Job in Job 38, talking about comparing what Job knew with what God knew. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this. And God finishes by asking Job, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. So God continues with his revelation to Job, of many other wondrous examples of his creation. Everything in the universe, all the animals and how horses run and how ostriches leave their eggs. He just gives 
Job a lesson in how life works. This gives Job a new perspective on things. And Job finally answers God. We get to Job chapter 42, final, verse, final chapter, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who ignorantly offers advice? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. So listen, please, and let me speak. You said you'd question me, and I would answer you. And I say, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Eyes of faith started seeing life in a new way. Job was now seeing an unlimited God through the eyes of pure faith. He came to his senses and he received hope from God. He wasn't even given the inner life of God through Jesus that we're given. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in him, guiding him, leading him, becoming his wisdom. Job wasn't even under the old covenant. He wasn't even a Jew. And this shows how God can intervene in the life of any person, at any time, in any age, covenant or no covenant. God is unlimited and he can get through to anybody he likes. Never limit God. Our faith tells us that all things are under the feet of Jesus and even though we still see chaos and disorder around us, we see Jesus within us. We see with eyes of faith. Just like Job said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eyes see you by faith. And God asks us, like he did to Job, to take stock of where we are with our faith. Where do we stand? What do we actually believe in and put our hope in? Our minds are continually constructing a pathway of belief that shapes our inner lives with our feelings and emotions and decision-making. We're forming that pathway. Whether it's in the right direction or the wrong direction, our mind is forming that. And our soul is, and our will, and our emotions. We're either letting the outward circumstances form these pathways, or we allow the inner work of the Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of Christ in us working in us and for us and through us. That's the deal. Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He's saying, wake up. You want to know what's really going on? It's not what you're seeing. Yeah, that is happening. That's true. It's objective. I'm glad you can see it. But there's something else going on that's far, far greater. I'm now going to continue with the scripture that we began with that Peter wrote when he said you'll be elated if people insult you, put Jesus down, you will be able to lift him up by what you say. I'll read it to you now. 
You can also be elated if you get insulted for being a Christian because the power and nature of Jesus will be on display in your life. Their words might be putting Jesus down, but your life is raising him up. Next verse. So if you go through difficult times that you know God has allowed to come upon you, walk on with God and trust him as your creator to faithfully look after the well-being of your soul. You might get some bruised elbows and sore knees. He's going to look after the well-being of your soul. Now there's a secret here in this scripture, a mystery, a hidden treasure as usual which declares the reality of a life lived with God. It's the story of the gospel again. One of its 10,000 reasons. A process of faith, as always, putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and putting on the new self. Do it as often as you can. We lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. We admit we're wrong, like Job, so we can be declared right in Jesus. We're strongest when we're weakest. We can have hope when enduring suffering instead of learning to just get over it or complain about it. Test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. We have no idea most of the time. Mostly, we're taken into God's purposes with no awareness of it at all. We think, what was that silly interruption? And God says, no, I'm in that. That's me interrupting your life. It's my life, Lord. Mm. What do you want to do with it? We have no idea what God's immediate goal might be in certain situations. And as we continue to trust him, we say, well, all right, I'm trusting you. You know what we might find? It gets even more and more vague. So God's purpose may appear to have missed the mark. What mark? Well, the mark that we've set. That's not my goal, Lord. We see different targets to what he sees. That's why we get confused. This shouldn't be happening. You can be very rational about that, but it is happening. We see things to be done. We ask for his help to let us do our thing. Isn't that what prayer is all about? You can be my strength, this is what I want to do. God says, well, let's have a little chat first. But what he sees is a son or a daughter becoming more and more one with him and being in his purpose. That's what God sees. If we have a set and determined purpose of our own, it can destroy the simplicity and the calm, relaxed pace which should be characteristic of the child of God that's growing into maturity. Oh, but I want to see miracles, Lord. If I just saw a miracle, it would transform me, it would change me. No, it wouldn't. You just want more. We tried that for 1,500 years with Israel. Miracle after miracle. They got worse and worse. The miracle is the transformation of the life. So if we are in oneness with God and recognise that he is taking us into his purposes, then we will no longer become anxious to find out even what his purposes are. I want a prophecy. What's my purpose? God says, 
I'll let you know. We trust him to be doing the best there is for us. And you know what that is? That is doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And we let him surprise us. I know, you've all been surprised by God in that way. I never would have thought that would happen that way. I thought I'd have to get in and make all this happen. And look what you've done. You've come in and provided that. I call that miracles. But it only is revealed to the one who's put their hope in God and have an expectation that he will bring forth his goodness and goodwill into the future. Other people might just say, oh, that was a bit of good luck. <laughs> I'll go and get a lottery ticket now. As we grow in faith and hope, it becomes simpler to us because we're less inclined to say, I wonder why God allowed that. And we begin to see that the compelling, loving purpose of God lies behind everything in life and that God is divinely shaping us into oneness with his ways. We'll get there one day and find out what was it you really wanted, Lord? I tried everything. Well, I just wanted you to go with me. Go with me. Come with me into getting closer to me. When we pursue closeness to God by spending time in his presence, we will see God's commitment to doing for us what is for our good. It will be revealed to us in his time and in his way. Amen. And the Lord bless you all.